Hey there, history fans. Welcome back to the History Explains It All podcast, where we cover a variety of historical topics from the Stone Age to the modern age. I'm Lauren. I'm Melissa. And before we get into today's episode, we have a couple of guests. Hi, I'm Caitlin, also known as Milton. Hi, I'm Stefan, also known as Colonel Online, and I don't know what I'm doing here. Having <laughs> <laughs> fun? You're, you're going to enjoy the uh, topic we have for you. You're going to help us with the German. Yeah, there you go, because I'm going to butcher it. Oh, don't worry. She knows German as well now, so. I do. That's true. I promise I will butcher it, and therefore. Please do. <laughs> It'll just, make it I'm, all the more funnier. As Melissa knows, I'm terrible with other languages unless it's Hebrew, so. I'm really, but, really, I'm really tempted to find some kind of topic that deals with Finnish and have her just go straight at it, see what she does with it. I will fuck it up so bad. <laughs> it's not that hard to pronounce Finnish. Yeah, I, I will mess that up pretty bad if you put me on Finnish, Melissa. I'm, I'm, uh, I'll find I'm, sure, something. I'm sure a good majority of us would butcher it. <laughs> it's not that hard to pronounce it. It's, it's a phonetic language. Also, we have our Instagram and Facebook at History Explains It All underscore podcast. Check us out. We, on our, both on our Facebook and Instagram, we do three posts a week. One is a Today in History, Archaeology in the News, and we do a Photo Friday now where Melissa and I go between all of our photos that we've taken of historical places, objects, and things, and we share them with you because, well... I don't know what else to do with them. They're also just sitting on my computer. So we hope we want to share the world. Yeah. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a rate and review. And if you have any topics, any questions, anything like that, you can comment. You can send us an email at historyexplainsall at gmail.com. And now we can get into the actual topic. If you got any historical photos that you want to share, just at us on Instagram. Yeah. Share it with us. Give us a little background on it so that we know what you want posted. All right, let's get into the juicy bits. What's today's topic? You want to you wanna inform us, Melissa? Oh, am I starting this one? Okay. Yeah, you are because you're, at, you're not, you're the first, to, your section is the first section. Oh, well, okay then. Um, we are talking about Mad King Ludwig and his castles castles are pretty and i so want to go which castle are we specifically focusing well, on? oh i'm pretty much talking about three specific ones but Liechtenstein mostly thank you Liechtenstein. oh Liechtenstein. oh wonderful it's so pretty plus if you're a disney fan you should probably like the castle we'll get into that but anyways let's let's look at the houses for sale yes <laughs> i don't think anyone can afford this castle yeah, but you can still look at it. That's free. Technically, even Ludwig II couldn't afford this castle. He ran out of money, but I'll get into that. <laughs> so the uh, future king of Bavaria was born Ludwig Otto Friedrich Wilhelm on August 25th of 1845 to Maximilian II of Bavaria and Marie of Prussia. And his parents became king and queen when he was about three years old. Now, he was not really raised to be close to his parents and preferred the company of his grandfather, the deposed King Ludwig I, whom he was also named after, after the insistence 
of his grandfather's parents apparently wanted to name him Otto, and his uh, grandfather was like, "No, you will name him Ludwig." So they named their second child Otto. But there was talk during the time that Maximilian was king, so like maybe his advisor was like, "Maybe you should school your son on how to be a king and and talk to him and stuff." And he goes, "What would I say to him? I don't have anything to say to him." He's, he's being raised by other people to be the future king. I have nothing to say. To Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. He wasn't close to his mother either. He referred to his mother after his father passed away. Apparently, he referred to his mother as my predecessor's consort. Wow. Way to be sassy. Sassy and also very distant. It's to your own mom. It's European monarchy. That's also true. Yeah. Fair enough. In the yeah, 1840s, uh, well, especially in the 1840s, there was a lot of upheaval of European monarchy, the French revolutions, and a whole bunch of stuff going on in the 1840s throughout Europe. It was, it was mad. But I'm going to give you a very, very brief rundown of Ludwig I and why he plays a major role in Ludwig II's upraising. His grandfather was not a popular king. And actually became even more unpopular during the latter half of his reign when he took famed actress and dancer Lola Montez, which might be a future episode because she's got a fascinating story, as his mistress. And we're talking longtime mistress and, and showered her, gave her titles and everything. And eventually, because Lola was actually, she's Irish, and Lola Montez is her stage name. She ended up having to be exiled from Bavaria because of the influence she seemed to be having on the king, and which was an event also followed by something that has to come up in a weird history, the Bavarian beer riots of 1844. Uh, I'm guessing it shouldn't be that different, that much different than the whiskey riots that we had in America back in the day. But the beer but the beer. Yeah, the beer. It was set for the beer. There was a tax on the beer, and it made people riot. I'm yeah, sure it was all too familiar then. It's, it's also about the same time, maybe like 10 years later, that um, Frederick II of Prussia was also trying to put down coffee and made people drink beer because he thought beer was superior to coffee. So there was a whole lot of anti-beer oh, kind of stuff going on at this time. I've got to make a weird history out of like weird facts about beer and history, and I'm up for it. So Lola Montez is exiled from the country because of her influence with the king. The king is not popular. There's revolutions going on. The beer riots are going on. And at one point, he also decided to closed down one of the universities, which caused people to also riot. And they actually stormed the armory. And he decided he wasn't going to do anything about this rebellion. So his younger brother, Carl, Prince Carl, decided that he was going to quell the mob and, and, and make them happy about not closing the university and everything, which only made Ludwig I even more unpopular and more hated. What he did was he just sat back and let everyone else around him do the work for him. Well, that also sounds like a lot of European monarchies, yeah. But yeah, European monarchies were like way. Well, at this time, right before, right before Ludwig was actually deposed, 
which I'll get into in just a tick. Bavaria, now I don't even know if Germany was like fully unified at this point. I know it was kind of in the works, but I don't think it was even fully unified given that Bavaria is now, I think, part of Germany. It's just the lower end of Germany. Or is it in Austria? I wouldn't be so sure right now. I don't, I don't really remember right now. That's been <laughs> a lot of years back in school. It's, it's but I definitely don't south. remember anymore. Right. It's, I know it's south on the south end of Germany, but I don't know if it's in like modern day Austria or modern day Germany. But well, back in that time, actually, I'm not sure at all anymore. It's been too long. History isn't quite our strong suits, so we may need some more explanation. Germany was a bunch of city states until it became fully unified, which I think was later on in the same century with uh, Bismarck, I think. But it was, it, it just wasn't a good time. But at this time, Ludwig was an absolute monarch. But because he was so unpopular, kind of like in a very basic, I would consider Ludwig the first to something akin to Louis the 16th. There were gonna be other kings of France, but they were never gonna be absolute monarchs after the fall of the, the Louis the 16th. Mm -hmm. I would say something akin to that. And eventually, people turned on Ludwig. Lola returned from exile, but that just led to more humiliation for the king because of her association with him. And eventually, on March 20th of 1848, he decided that he was going to abdicate, but not for the good of the country because he would not be, he was not willing to concede to the demands of the people and become a constitutional monarch. He wanted to stay an absolute monarch. And so wow. instead of remaining to be king, but not an absolute monarch, he just decided to completely abdicate. He was technically deposed. And then that went to his eldest son, Maximilian. Ludwig spent most of his youth at Castle Hohenschwangau. And that's that thing, Gregory. Sure. At Castle Witch? What castle? Hohenschwangau. Hohenschwangau? That sounds Chinese. Yeah, I know. It ends in a G A U. Hohenschwangau, maybe. Like the Gauss rifle. I've never seen German end in a G A U, so I thought that was. Oh, one. there's a lot. Mm -hmm. oh, there is? There. I need to see the actual word in order to pronounce it. Hohenschwangau. Yeah, that could be it. I'm not sure. Schwangau? Schwangau, yeah. It could be really, really old German. Oh, it's a really, really old. Um, well, the, the place where it's at is really old. The It was built. I put it in chat for you. Yeah. Um, Schwangau. Exactly, as we said. Yeah. Um, the area is really old. So old, the name of it is still written in old German. Yeah. Um, so during his adolescence, he actually became very, very close friends with another nobility, uh, a man named Prince Paul. And he was actually sort of the aide-de-camp to Ludwig. He was his personal assistant. And they would be seen writing together, not unusual, reading and reciting poetry together, maybe not necessarily unusual, and then reenacting scenes from Wagner's operas, which I would say is also a little unusual. But Ludwig II had... An obsession is not the best word, but I don't have a better word than obsession. 
that he had with Wagner. Wagner, as in the composer and Wagner's operas, were everything he could ever think about. It's not more like an obsession. It is rather an addiction. Oh, so he was a fanboy. Oh, yeah. Uh, that is still an understatement of yeah. his love for Wagner. So he was an absolute fanboy, I guess. Just like he was an absolute madman. Ah! Got him. His, his love for Wagner and Wagner's music and Wagner's storytelling, it, it's, it's an understatement. We'll get into it. Mary Wagner. Almost he was, an, he was an absolute zealot for his place, basically. He was a Wagner zealot. Let's, let's at least call it that. Close enough. Yeah, yeah. a Wagner zealot. Yeah. So he, one of, so one of uh, Ludwig's best friends was Prince Paul. And it was around this time that there was questions about Ludwig's orientation because he was very close with Prince Paul, but Prince Paul went and got married and, and uh, went off with a girl. So, so that confirmed that. Well, not necessarily, but it's, it's, we'll get into it later, but there's definitely speculation that uh, Ludwig was likely homosexual. But and around the especially same, back in the day, that was absolutely scandalous. Well, yes and no. Well, I'll get into it really? now. Yes More and no. So at the beginning of the 1800s in Germany, it wasn't actually a crime to be homosexual, but it was a crime to engage in homosexuality. Ah, uh, okay. But also Ludwig was raised heavily Catholic and had a lifelong pull essentially between embracing his home his likely homosexuality and the fact that it's a sin in the catholic church that would just make everything all the more confusing oh he, yeah he was he uh oh that's more around the same time that he was becoming very close friends with prince paul during his adolescence he also began a lifelong friendship with his cousin, Duchess Elizabeth of Bavaria, later known as Empress Sisi. And as Lauren is familiar with Empress Sisi and uh, the tragedy of Mayerling and everything, I, it, it not only is actually connected to what would become the tragedy in Mayerling, but I think in terms of Rudolf and Ludwig II, there's a lot of commonalities between the two of them. Ludwig II had sent to the throne when he was 19, and his father had passed away from an unknown illness that uh, he was sick with for three days and got very ill and then passed away. Were historians ever to uncover what exactly caused his death? Not that I could find. But, I mean, if three days, I don't know, maybe tuberculosis or something, I don't know. Yeah, it would have to be something absolutely rapid, like hemophilia or something similar to that. If you're aware of what hemophilia is. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah, that tends to come out in a lot I mean, of historic play, monarchies. Yeah, the, the well in the monarch well that the hemophilia didn't really come about until Queen Victoria started having more children. It also happened in the Romanov family as well. That's because the Romanov family married into Queen Victoria's family. Ah. Uh, there's a connection. Empress yeah, so. Alexandra was Queen Victoria's daughter. 
They are all. I mean, Victoria was the carrier of hemophilia. Yeah. Yeah. Once Queen Victoria's children started to kind of spread and marry, that's when hemophilia became a huge problem in Europe. So then, in this case of this this death, it's still unclear as to what it was. There was no other just written descriptions or anything like that. I didn't do a massive research into it because I was not looking into the history of Maximilian and his reign. It mm-hmm. just said he had a three-day illness and then he passed away. He right. could have had a, the plague, it could have been tuberculosis, it could have been measles right. or smallpox, who knows. Could have been anything that they didn't have medication for. Or with being clean. That too. He could have had a stomach virus. Yay hygiene! <laughs> It said, yay hygiene. Yeah. Uh. Yep. So it could have been any of those reasons that, you know, could it, it really could have been anything. You were lucky, like Queen Victoria was, if uh, you you didn't get really ill. A bad river bath. That could have, pos- monarch- could have been a possibility. The monarchs didn't create the river baths. Oh. They had their own bath. Well, they had to get the water from somewhere. Well, that was the servant's job. It, so Not technically, it's still a river bath. Do you think monarchs are filthy enough to go to the rivers? The river comes to them, after all. <laughs> they put lead on their faces. I don't think they really cared about where the water came from. There's a lot of things that the monarchs did that was that we know these days that was absolutely stupid. So, yeah. There you have it. I mean, even if you just go to... Lauren's favorite topic, Henry VIII. Henry VIII had gout and like, well, he didn't die just from the gout. He died from a, a gangrenous infection on his leg mostly, but he didn't eat healthy. A lot of the monarchs didn't eat healthy. You were going to get gout and diabetes. From Wasn't he the, the super fat one with the 10 wives? Close eight wives. He had six wives, not eight and not oh. 10. Uh, he's my favorite European topic outside of his daughter, Elizabeth I, who even takes precedence over him, in my opinion. But my favorite topic is Egypt, Melissa. You should know this by now. Uh, I was referring to the Tudors. That, that is my favorite European topic. Yes. I know. But a lot of monarchy ate really high fat. Like really, just really had really poor diets because they could eat because, because they were they could afford all the sugar stuff, all the sugary stuff. Right, there's that too. Yeah, I mean, Queen Elizabeth is likely to have had like really rotten teeth because of all the sugar she was eating. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, it's it's also extremely rich and heavy foods like meat pies and things like that. It was super rich, vegetables, super heavy. barely any fruit. <laughs> Yeah, basically just with very heavy food in general. And with, with a bad diet, well, somebody's going to say goodbye and just, you know, take everybody else with them. I mean, right, so it's them. not really a, a surprise that a lot of them didn't last that long because when you're junk food and your body, you're also making your body more susceptible to diseases too because you're not taking mm-hmm. care of Well, they exercise to an extent by jousting and things like that. You, you just weren't doing enough in comparison to what you intook. Right. In yeah, time. it's calories in, calories out. And there was a lot more calories in than out. Compared with the monarchs and the peasants and the knights. Yeah, it, it's clear as day. It's, it's literally black and white. 
I mean, if you look at pictures outside of the issue pertaining to so much inbreeding, a lot of monarchs were not very thin. They oh, were no. they were heftier, and as they got older, they got fatter and pot-bellied and things like that. So it definitely took a toll on their health. Yeah, and not to say that the peasants necessarily lived a long time too. It's just they were ten. But so one, the upper half ate too much food and the lower half had barely enough food so they were starving Mm -hmm. but that's not our topic for today that's for another topic another podcast all right so ludwig the second then took over after the death of his father and during his reign don't know how much you know about the few wars that he entered in the beginning but one of them was the seven weeks war he only he entered that in two years after his ascension to the throne and he sided with austria against can you guess it melissa can you guess it russia yes it's not really a guess you and i both know that so he enters the seven weeks war against prussia well that didn't end in his favor and they lost and they basically became a vassal of Prussia and he had to answer to the ruler of Prussia which ended up actually being his uncle don't know Frederick mm-hmm. Frederick II yeah you don't beat Frederick II in war no you don't no look up Frederick II in history and you'll know pretty it's sure it was Frederick else. II yes and, and right now I just in refer to our Ivan the Terrible I just would be like oh Fritz oh Fritz but that's a whole different thing yeah so it became a huge problem because well ludwig fully believed in him as the absolute ruler kind of put himself out there like he got way too over his head yeah but that's how he he was raised to do that Remember, he was raised mostly by his grandfather, who felt like the monarchy should be absolute, not constitutional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was his downfall. Well, that was part of his downfall, for sure, absolutely. So that made him a vassal of Prussia, meaning he wasn't as much of a king as he thought it was his right to be. Because he had to answer to his uncle frederick pretty sure it was frederick the second i think around this time yeah frederick was um yeah i think frederick passed away around the same time that ludwig did yeah they didn't i don't think they died far apart let me double check uh no this is long before frederick the second was 1700s i'm i'd have to look up his uncle whose name is like escaping oh, me that's right it's like a hundred years before for Frederick. yeah where's my brain going to all right when we when we talk about prussia my brain automatically goes to frederick the great sorry not only did he lose the war with prussia after that he was propositioned by napoleon the third this is not the same as napoleon bonaparte right just clarifying that because it's napoleon the third to enter an alliance with france and austria against prussia this time he sided with prussia wise decision 
Uh, yeah. King of Prussia around this time was Frederick Wilhelm IV. Thank you. I knew it was a Frederick. Couldn't remember which freaking one. There's how many there's too many. I don't blame you. There's, Frederick there's of Prussia is like Louis to France. Louis to France and Henry to England and all the others. 50 billion of each of them. He entered on the side of Prussia and after this war ended, which I think Prussia won, if I'm correct, he began to pull away from the political side of life, which meant he really took, decided not to fulfill any of his duties. He was not really... He gave up. Kind of, but also he wasn't interested. He was interested, like his grandfather, in just being an absolute monarch. What he says goes. There's no parliamentary activity. There's no none of that. Well, it's not how it worked in his time, though. So it's you needed, God. yeah, you needed to actually be a part of the activities and do things and meet with your parliament or your governmental cabinet and make decisions it's not just i say this goes well that's how he wanted it though was the absolute monarchy so he just decided he wasn't interested and pulled away and instead he put a lot of his focus into two things one is the arts like melissa was talking about with wagner the other are the buildings of the palaces and he became a huge patron of the arts. There even became an art festival kind of situation when Wagner came to Austria. And then he started to build three three different palaces. One, okay, this is where you're going to have to step in, Stephen and, and uh, Caitlin, because my pronunciation is going to be terrible. Okay. We'll try our best. Indeed. Well, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna copy paste and uh, send this to you in the chat, and you guys can pronounce it that way. I just don't. Yeah, yeah I'll let Caitlin first. She is a better speaker. Wink, wink. Karanchinsi. <laughs> Are you sure you've written? Karanchinsi. Have you written that fully, or? That's what it said in the in my source. Okay, I guess it's Karanchinsi. Oh, that's right. It's, it's a combination. It's a, an agglutinative name. I'll get into that later. Oh, yay. Good. You're, you can get into I've that. I've got the castles covered. I'll get into it. Oh, good. Because there's that one, which is actually the second castle that he started on. Then there's Linderhof. And then there's... You pronounce it. Yeah. one's fine. Thank you. Uh, and... Two of them were actually meant to be based off of Louis XIV's Versailles. Well, technically, yes, but I'll get to that when I get into the castles. How about we just leave that side note to the side now that we know that you're going to get into super, super detail. This is what I found. They're kind of based off of Versailles. No, that part is true. It's just not all of them. Yeah. No, it just said a couple of them. The one of them is story-based fantasy-based which melissa will get into later as we have stated basically between 1869 and 1878 all of these castles were being built that's 
the time frame of when he kind of started on them. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why you'd build three large ass castles at one time when uh, you're you're a decent off country, but you ain't drowning in the dang gold. There was just no reason. It's like, hey, I could do this. Hey, you built that. It, it, the, the thing is that it that will come up in my, my section on the castles is that he wasn't using treasury money. This was all his own money. Oh, that I didn't know. But I left that part for you. So. Do you remember on the, uh, the, I guess it was last week's episode on the um, eccentric English lords and we talked about Cyril Paget, and he had about $75 million or something and he completely blew through in about five years. Same thing here, except, and it's also, I mean, conversion-wise, it was about the same amount of money. Okay. Dang, I didn't know that, but okay. I've got, I've got stats. Don't worry. Oh, I'm sure you do. You're Melissa. I expect no less. Basically, he was just like, while he kind of removed himself from the political scene, in the 1880s, he just fully removed himself. He was like, I'm just not going to even try to be king now because... Well, it's my God-given right, but you aren't letting me have my God-given right, so I'm just not going to do a dang thing, basically what he did. And not long after he fully removed himself, that's when he was declared insane. Why would they declare him insane? Just for leaving his... uh... Oh, yeah. So even as a child... He was introduced to Wagner's music as he was growing up. And yeah. even as a child. So I'm just right. literally laughing at the fact that he was just uh, he was just basically declared Wagner insane. <laughs> no, I think Wagner also wanted to declare him insane. Uh, <laughs> for me as like a, 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 an absolute fanboy zealot. Yeah, but we'll get into that later too. But from my understanding from my research, is that even as a child, Ludwig was raised with a lot of um not only raised to be to be king but also raised on a lot of medieval german folklore and fairy tales and he was i'll get into it later too but he was kind of known as the swan king because there was a lot of swan imagery in the area that he grew up in the castle his father that the castle he grew up in his father built specifically for their family and there was a lot of swan imagery and a whole bunch of stuff i mean it's got the word named schwan in it which is swan yeah and Schwanstein wasn't actually called that when it was built that was it was named that after he passed away it was just called uh new hohenschwangau so because it literally just sits right above his it's it's in a uh, an area just directly above his uh, childhood home but he was raised on fantasy on fairy tales on Wagner Wagner's operas and music were based on old German medieval fantasy and fairy tales like like the German version of King Arthur essentially and Ludwig romanticized that and like insanely romanticized that that was his whole life he felt that he should have absolute rule and that the German version of King Arthur was his ancestor and 
a whole bunch of stuff. And he just thought that he, he preferred to live in a fantasy world where he was ruler and everyone obeyed him. And he was a knight of the round table, essentially. And that's the world he wanted to live in. But reality wouldn't give him that. Yeah, I can totally see why they would call him insane in that regard. Yeah. So he he was dubbed insane by a panel of doctors not long after he just withdrew from court life and they actually banished him. God, which which castle was it? Which place? Huchmanstein. Mm-mm. Oh, banished too. Sorry. No, he was removed from. Yes. Schlossberg. Near the oh, Schlossberg. Yeah. yeah. He was removed to Schlossberg. That's it. So he's dubbed crazy, and I'll get into more detail about that part later. There isn't much else to say on that, really. But like I, like we were talking about, his love for Richard Wagner was pretty extreme. And Richard Wagner beforehand had been banished from the court. And Ludwig, well, let's just say he lifted that banishment and brought him back to court. And then Ludwig not only had him, he was at court for, I think it was a year, year and a half before he was rebanished because he started an affair with a, a woman, a noble woman, had several children by her. Wow. And, he, and the court then was like, you need to go now. Yeah. The government was like, no, first of all, our monarch is far too obsessed with you. Second of all, you just had an affair. Committed adultery. With a married woman who then divorced her husband to marry you and had several children with her. No, you need to go. You're also problematic because you're, well, anti-Semitic. Well, Christianity, that was very, very brutal. It's like... Well, Catholicism. Yeah, it's just... just You're you're talking to a Jew, Stephen. I (laughs) I know. The only, the only, the only times I acknowledge religion is when there's a day off. After all, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's also actually the anti-Semitism is actually the only part that Ludwig actually spoke out against Wagner. He did not agree with Wagner on his anti-Semitic views, and that was his only conflict with the man. You have information about the part where. Uh, Ludwig wanted to run off with Wagner. No. So well, obsession. Hello. Not even like that. No, 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 no. So I don't know how much more you have on Wagner. So I'm just going to touch briefly on it. But so the and and we'll get into the obsession. It, it plays later into the other sections. But without Ludwig being a patron to Wagner. Wagner would not have written the masterpieces that he is known for, particularly his uh, his Rings opera and the other operas that came after that. And on top of that, I mean, he was at court. He was invited to hang out with the king quite a lot. And when Wagner had to go into his second exile, Ludwig said, I'll come with you because I think Wagner went to France or Sweden yes, he or did. Switzerland, I think. France or Switzerland. I think it was France, if I, I remember. It was France, yeah. And Ludwig's like, I'll abdicate and I'll come with you. Oh my. Yeah. I'll, I'll come with you. You're you're like you're, you're I'm your biggest fan. 
on. Yeah. Let me stalk you some more. Yeah. No, he literally told Wagner at one point, let me, I will abdicate and we, and we can go off and have adventures together and, and, and read and write and, and make operas about medieval uh, German folklore. And Wagner's like, dude, you're the king. You need to stay. I want to go with you. Right. That's how far his obsession went. Listen, this is my exile. This is not your exile. This is mine. But they call me insane. No. No. (laughs) That, I think, is the pinnacle of his obsession with Wagner, willing to abdicate the crown to go hang out with Wagner in France. Oh yeah, that is a. He was thinking it more as a you know bro trip, but Wagner was absolutely fed up with it. So yeah. Well, I think in a similar sense, like well, his his so Ludwig's younger brother Otto. I don't know how much Lauren's going to bring him up, but he's believed to have had some mental disabilities, because though he was technically declared insane, it's just he wasn't mentally fit to rule, so he never actually technically ruled. But I think that in a similar sense, Ludwig might have had something like that, or maybe he was on the spectrum in some way, because he was highly obsessed about uh, a medieval German folklore and essentially the German version of King Arthur and the Round Table, and was he's special. He was, he was, well, he would rather be away from people and pretend like the life he had, he had and live in his fantasy world than interact with people in reality. Yeah, so he he was definitely special. Yeah, yeah, he was. I actually didn't have way more than you did, Melissa. So I wasn't really focusing on Wagner other than his obsession with Wagner and Wagner's time when he was at the court versus, you know, not at the court because outside of the court it wasn't as important in that sense i didn't think for the podcast as after wagner left even though ludwig was still a patron he wasn't at the court influencing ludwig personally they still were connected to each other they never gave up patronage between the two of them or and things like that ludwig never pulled out of being Wagner's patron even after he went into exile and so on but think of it this way Ludwig wrote thing uh plays and thing and stories like Tristan and Isolde which are it's an extremely famous one today there are many more that he's written but like Melissa said that patronage is what made those plays be written because without them they would not have existed yeah, I think Wagner was going through some kind of writer's block and he had started them, but without Ludwig's patronage, they would never have been completed. For sure. Well, not only that, he was also in the beginning trying to escape from people he owed money to. Oh yeah, he had big debts. And then of course, it didn't help yeah. that Ludwig also bought him like a big villa and, and like a partial palace and stuff like that for his family after he went into exile the first time. And the second time. Yeah, that's a bit counterintuitive. Well, Ludwig had, not Ludwig, I'm sorry. Wagner had a lot of problems. Right, I mean, Ludwig had his problems too. Again, 
the well, man just, just the fact that Ludwig had had so much aspiration and admiration for for Wagner that he completely overlooked all the flaws that made Wagner exiled in the first place. He it was it was just it just didn't make any sense to anyone from the outside looking in at all. He didn't see that. Yeah. Yes. We see it because it's so many years later, but I'm talking about during it's the time history. Period. Yes, during the time period, you're correct. They didn't really see it. Actually, that's most of Ludwig's life as king right there. Majorly Wagner. And then the castles. Is that so. a signal for me to start working on the castles? So let's go ahead and get into his castles. This is the whole, uh, this is the best part of the whole episode. <laughs> I love architecture. So, Ludwig, as we've mentioned, was really big into medieval fantasy, romantic fantasy, uh, really obsessed with Wagner, and actually had a slightly less major obsession with Louis XIV in Versailles. Let's get into that. Starting in the 18, late 1860s, he began work on several castles, as we mentioned before. Most notable castle today, at least, would be Neuschwanstein. And the castles were actually really good for the economy of the time because he kind of built them in more low-income areas, in a sense. And it brought a lot of money and it brought a lot of jobs. And he did pay people. And... According to an account from 1968, New Schwanstein, at the time it was built, costs around 6,180,47 marks. Linderhof costs 8,469,37 marks. And Heron Chimsey, is that what I would say that was going to be called? Well, just send it over. I'll just pronounce it for you. I know what what Castle talked about. Neuschwanstein. Oh, Neuschwanstein. Yeah. No, 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 no. No. Heron Chimsey. Oh God! Just send you decide that was a Chimsey or Chim. Oh, I was I was talking about the castle that you were that we thought was Liechtenstein, but Lichtenstein it's Liechtenstein is a country. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's a country. But yeah. what you said. Uh, Neuschwanstein is Neuschwanstein. Is Neuschwanstein. Oh, is it Neusch? It's N-E-U. It looks like new. I mean, it's pronounced. Yeah, N-E-U is Neu. Neu, got it. Yeah, Neu. Yeah, that... it, it's literally new. Yeah, uh, Herring Chimsey. Herring Chimsey. Yeah. I think she's talking about that one. I would say C-H looks more like a K to me than it does. Yeah, C-H is just pronounced as an H, like in a soft taste, like it's it's like it, it's German. It's weird. <laughs> Let's um, keep it at that. So Helen Helen Thank you, Helen Kimse. Uh, was sixteen million five hundred and seventy nine six hundred and seventy four marks. That translate in today's USD. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. So in that same report from nineteen sixty eight, in relation to the cost of the castles from eighteen seventies said that the British pound in the 1870s was equal to about uh, 20.43 German marks. So wow. if my conversion is correct, 
that would put Neustrastein around 32,163,781 American dollars today. That's insane. Lind um, well, yeah, we're not done though. Linderhoff would be $44 million, 34,581 American. And Helen Kimse would be 86,288,286 American dollars. Wow. Rota does not cover in that. <laughs> and keep in mind, out of those three major castles, and there was plenty of more architectural designs for other things like a Japanese pagoda and a, 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 an Indian-esque Taj Mahal kind of a palace, not the exact Taj Mahal, but more like an Indian Raja kind of a palace. So he had a whole bunch of designs for stuff. Just those, these, these three castles alone, during his lifetime, before he died, the only one that was completely completed was Linderhof. The other ones were so expensive, they were never completed. That I did not know. So Linderhof was the first one started, I believe, and it was finished around 1878. And is a, they're all incredibly ornate, much in the style of gaudy 1700s Versailles, which is kind of the point for a lot of these. And it was in the style of neo-French Rococo, which is about, so Rococo is about 100 years before, so it's the 1800s, and now it's neo-French Rococo. And one of the most iconic pieces at this specific castle is its lake, and in the lake is its most famous attraction called a Venus Grotto. And it was a, you see on the pictures, it's actually quite pretty. The lake was fitted with electricity and when turned on, it would have like a green and blue and red kind of lighting effect, which was very new for the time. Hard, but also fascinating. Mm -hmm. And Ludwig was also known to have been rowed around the lake and particularly up to the Venus Grotto in a boat shaped like a shell. Ah. <laughs> what a cheesy one. Oh, it gets better. Oh, it's just cheesy. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, everything. So to keep in mind, with all of the, the, all the descriptions for all the, the three major castles, which is what we're going to cover, because they were the ones that were actually worked on. At the time that they were created, the nobility and the government saw them as garish and gaudy. Nowadays, we look at them and go, it's gorgeous and beautiful. But at the time, they were thought to just be a major folly and way too expensive. Yeah, I could see why for the time being, especially since you put random castles in low-income areas, just out of the blue. No, it's not out of the blue. It's just a flex, nothing else. It's more for the view. Yes, flex. There you go. Yeah. It's like, hey, look how pretty it is. Anyways. First of all, it's like, 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 uh, Neustr it's not new. Neustrastein. Um, um, the fact that it's, no, up on a, yeah. it's, it's like on a really high crag and it overlooks the city mm -hmm. and the village below. So that's also a thing. These are built very high up and overlooking the, the people below. Yeah. So it's for the view and for the us, the, the posterity and everything. So keeping with the theme of his 
extreme obsession with Wagner, during the construction of Linderhof, uh, Ludwig had built a hut in the nearby forest that was attached to the property and mm. called it Pudding Hut. Uh, I'll put it in the chat. It doesn't have yeah, I it put because I don't have the um, the accent over the second U. It's fine. We'll figure it out. Oh, just press the Windows key and semicolon. Oh, Hüttenhütte. Die Hundinghütte. Oh, okay. I didn't know if the E was is silent because there's the, the yeah. It is. The U. Yeah, it is just Hundinghütte. Hundinghütte. All right. Close enough. <laughs> I'm more familiar with Finnish. I'm sorry. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. It's, it's not about it. It's fine. It's yeah, in, in German, you have to pronounce the E at the end. It's just, it's just fucked up. It's German. <laughs> I'm better with French, too. French I get because all the accents make more sense to me. <laughs> but um, the hut, which was actually related to uh, a piece in one of Wagner's operas, was completely it was it was um it was a place he could go and hang out it was an artificial tree with a sword probably a real sword stuck into the tree and it's actually in reference to the first act of Dave Valkyrie which was one of the the ring uh, I think it's the four rings uh operas of Wagner and based on another one of his operas one of his last operas Parsifal Ludwig had a hermitage erected on the property where he would frequently go off to read as well. Linderhoff also boasts a very intricate, and I confused this one with Neuschwanstein because I knew one of them had this, but I guess I was wrong on which castle it was. But it has a very intricate and unusual peach feature, even particularly for the time. It's not as big as I thought it was, but it's still really, really amazing. A mechanical dining room table. Mechanical dining room table. Oh. That sounds really advanced for the time. And it was, seriously. Oh, yeah. for, for the time being, that was actually just fantastic. I, I, I don't remember what it actually was. I think you're going to tell us, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm oh, going yeah. yeah. to not give you any details. You know, she's just going to keep it all to herself for funsies and make everyone look it up, which is the point of the podcast. <laughs> So this dining room table, which is very small, it's probably, I don't know, I can't get specifics from just the picture, but I would say maybe like five foot round table. It's not very big. It's it's enough for maybe one or two people to sit at. Yeah. But it was oh. just one person who was sitting at it. But it was called the wishing table because it's actually in reference to a particular Grimm's fairy tale called the wishing table the golden ass and the cudgel in the sack, which is not a Grimm's fairy tale that I am familiar with. And the in this in the Grimm's fairy tale, the wishing table is a magical table that sets itself. So it just magically appears with food and dishes and stuff. Ludwig growing up, particularly also being introverted, but extremely introverted and becoming even worse growing uh, as he got older, he would apparently go through periods of not wanting to interact with anybody, particularly if he was often one of his sort of fantasy periods where he was living in his fantasy world. He didn't even want to interact with the servants. So while he's living in Linderhof, he had the table devised so that the kitchen staff below the room 
would put food on the table and through a mechanical winch, have the table go up and down. And that's kind of cool. The crazy, yeah, it's kind of cool. The crazy thing about it is that um, at, when the table would be prepped for his meals and he'd be sitting down, he wouldn't just sit at the table and then just eat off the table. He would be sitting there dressed as Louis the Fourteenth. That was his fantasy world. And we're not only just in his fantasy world, I have a quote from a one, uh, an author who wrote about this. And well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, one of the King's cooks uh, about this actually ended up reporting at one point saying, he, the king, wants no one around him at meals. Nevertheless, the dinners and suppers always have to be large enough to serve at least three or four people. This way, although the king always sits down to eat alone, he does not feel alone after all. He believes himself in the company of Louis the Fourteenth and Louis the Fifteenth, and their lady friends, Madame Pompadour, Madame Maintenon, and he even greets them now and then and carries on conversations with them as though they're really guests at his table. Schizophrenia. I'm guessing he developed schizophrenia as well. I believe there's possibility he had like some sort of schizotypal paranoia. It sounds, hmm? it sounds like a likely likely result of talking to no one being there and setting up all these big banquets every single night well there's that and also i mean if you're gonna live in a fantasy world at least you're living in the sun king's fantasy pretty much yeah that's a good point i mean if you can already afford it i'm just gonna do it right okay i don't know about the afford part after building all those castles that well in his fantasy he could afford it so i guess so that's true it's part of the <laughs> it's also uh not quite the end of uh, of that sort of i'm louis the 14th reincarnated kind of stick he was doing too in addition to the lavishness of the palace and its crowns ludwig also believed himself so if louis the 14th is the sun king ludwig believed himself to be the moon king a romantic shadow version of the Sun King. Good Lord. I'm not surprised. And apparently in keeping with that theme, he was very commonly, one of his favorite pastimes would to go, was to go on moonlit nighttime sleigh rides and a carriage made in the 1700s. The cool thing about well, the carriage, though, lifestyle. he could afford it. Why not? I guess. I don't know. He spends he could afford it, yep. Just because he thinks he can afford it doesn't mean he can't. We'll get to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a theme here. Yeah, invent credit. No, let's not talk about that. That's the king easy. doesn't get credit. What did you know? <laughs> the king makes the credit and it doesn't care about the rest of them. Isn't this what tribute is called? You feel the king's credit by giving him tribute so he can spend more money? I don't know. I mean, yeah. The interesting thing about this uh, sleigh, though, by the way, is that it was not only just outfitted with electricity so you could see where you're going at night, but the lantern that was electrified ran on battery power. That is wow. very high tech. Like that's, that, that is... is 
to be and to be fair, battery powered in that time and age is seriously high tech. Yeah. Like we're talking like flying cars kind of tech for some people. Yeah. And they don't even know what cars are. It's the 1870s. Cars were literally just being invented. That's right. Yeah. Now you can actually view the carriage. It's still around. It resides at the Carriage Museum in uh, Nifflenburg Palace in Munich. Which I didn't know there was a carriage museum. That sounds cool. Oh, they have one there. That's that's mentioned for you. It wouldn't surprise me, but it sounds cool. The, the thing with all the palaces you also have to remember is they, as massive as they are and as intricate and as gaudy and lavish as they are, they were never built to show to people. They were built to feed his fantasy so he had a place he could retreat to and live in this fantasy world they were meant for the king and the king alone no one else no family no family members no the public weren't allowed in of course nothing they were meant for him and him alone hence the nighttime sleigh rides so that no one would ever see well he also didn't want to interact with people so if he had to go out in the town he'd go out in the town at night rather than during the day he also slept yeah. during the day and was up around at night. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. But all the palaces were open to the public after his death and have since become major areas of tourism. And I, I bet they still are to this day. Well, oh, yeah, that's what I was going to Yeah, they're, they're oh, like, they definitely are. The castles that this guy built are just insane. Oh, if you, I mean, from the outside, they're worth taking a look and going to check out. Wait till you see the inside. It literally, like, the, the gildedness of everything just screams Versailles and all of them. Just the amount of gilding. But all, a lot of them, especially uh, Neuschwanstein, is full of Wagner and medieval German imagery. Full of it. We'll yeah. have to visit it someday. I would like to go. I think it'd be really pretty, but I also love architecture. So I think I think it'd be fun. I think that a trip for you would be in order here as well then. Well, I need to come over to Austria and visit, that's for sure. Lauren will absolutely have to come with me. Heck yes. (laughs) We're doing a trip, lady. Oh yeah. To Europe. Yes, there is architecture, but trust me, it's been here for hundreds of years. It's going to be able to wait for you. Yeah, it's not going anywhere. Oh, it definitely won't. (laughs) That's what they said about Notre Dame. They're bringing back Notre Dame. She's supposed to be finished in the next four or five years. Yeah, but... I know, but still, it went through the process of... It's not its original form that... Yeah, it's unfortunate that it happened, that it happened, but at least they managed to restore restore it as much as they could. Yeah. That it didn't, you know, at that the it least, actually... with Notre Dame, it was accidental and not intentional. Yeah. It yeah. Worse. Imagine it was intentional. Oh my god. Mm-mm. Intentional oh, yeah. would be when I was in college in the Egyptian, the Cairo Museum, the Egyptian Museum in Cairo caught on fire. <laughs> Hmm. That might be a story for another day. Perhaps. <laughs> you want to hear about more castles? Yeah. Okay. Give us another. <laughs> I'm like, I hate this word. Oh, ah, 
Ken and Kimsey. Um, yeah, close enough. You're woo, good. All right, I'm going to get it eventually. Uh, construction on it began in around 1878. So as soon as he finished Linderhof, he went over to this one. And this is the one that specifically was intended to be a replica of Versailles and a tribute to Louis XIV. Originally, wow. his plan was not only to make this palace to scale of Versailles, but to also make it bigger than Versailles. Because it's not a castle if it's not bigger than whatever you want to measure it with. Exactly. How in the world would you go bigger than Versailles? Versailles is huge. Well. Yeah, but not. it's super expensive and spatially, gosh. That's why it was never completed. It was too much. That's why it's only a partial replica of Versailles. <laughs> but to it's... give you a general idea, I don't have the exact stats, but... At this particular palace, the Hall of Mirrors and the adjoining Hall of War and Peace are itself longer than the ones at Versailles. So he had started and had intended to make it bigger than Versailles. Obviously, it never happened. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He ran out of money and no one would fund it. Common theme here. Rumor actually has it that during construction, of the because the only thing that's still that's there is like the inner portion of Versailles that was actually completed, just a central portion, and the outside portions were never completed. But during construction of the inner central portion, Ludwig actually came by to make a check and see what, how it was going on and saw that what were supposed to be marble pillars were made of plaster that the craftsmen decided to use to save on costs because it was Argonby way too expensive oh no of course yeah he was absolutely livid and made the craftsmen demolish all of the pillars and start over and made sure they had marble at least they were getting paid right yeah yeah but it was very expensive regardless i yeah. mean the plaster at the time was also not very cheap but it also was very, very good at replicating marble. That's why they used it. And the problem was, this guy was spoiled to hell and beyond. And he could tell which was marble and which wasn't. I mean, if you would live on marble for, I don't know, your entire life, you would be able to fill it on your bum too. Well, sure. I, I don't know. I would think not just by look, marble is going to have a different feel than plaster. Yeah. But I don't know if it was that he was spoiled or that he was just truly stuck in that fantasy world. I would say probably a bit of both. Probably both, yeah. At this point, it was definitely both. And here's the kicker about this. So this was supposed to be full-on replica of Versailles. But only the central portion was complete because he ran out of money. The reason giving its name, which is why when we asked you guys about it, you're like, I don't, this is, this is a weird name. It lies on Heron Island on Kimsey Lake. So it's a common. I explain it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you want to take a guess at how long Ludwig stayed at the castle? It's very short. Three months. Nope. One day. Somewhere between that. 12 hours. No, somewhere between one day and three months. 
a month and a half. Well, that is a big span. I'm just gonna say like <laughs> I'm just gonna say like it's around two weeks tops. Almost ten days. Ah, I was so close. He stayed at the castle for only ten days. At the incomplete castle. Yeah, he just wanted to see that it was marble, nothing, nothing else. Yeah, that's probably much it. He just came and probably did a check, stayed there for a few days, and left to go check on the other castles. Is it supervised? Basically, yeah. is it marble way out now? Yes. Okay. Good. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> really. <laughs> He, at one point, for all the castles, even for the design plans of future castles that never got built, he is supposedly was so insistent that he wanted to approve any adjustment to any architectural design. He was dead set on how everything should be. No changes, no alterations, nothing. It has Not to, he approved it, 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 yeah. After all. It has to literally fit with what he put in his head. And if it's just a slight deviation from his fantasy, nope, do it again. Yes. Yeah. artist, I can attest to that. Some yeah, of my yeah, comments yeah. have been like that. And I can feel for the frustration of those construction workers working on the castle. I just tell my customers to grow up. Well, and the I'm thing about like, the construction workers is they were likely working 24-7. Yeah. Slave labor. Well, I mean, if you were getting paid, it wasn't exactly slavery labor. It depends on how well you were paid. There was definitely something around that part as well, because yeah. otherwise, it's, yeah. But still, anyways, give us another one. There's another question. Oh, oh, I'm not quite done with this one yet. So okay. because it was supposed to be a replica of Versailles, it became, after his death, when it opened to the public, it actually became, and still is, a popular attraction for anyone who wants to go see Versailles but maybe can't do it or just wants to, but the great, the thing about this one is because of the time frame in which it was made, it actually has a replica of the ambassador's staircase in it, which is an essential portion of Versailles, which though it was about a hundred years before the original staircase at Versailles was actually demolished in 1752. So for those who want to go see what the original ambassador's staircase was like, you can go to this one. And also at, at Helen Kimsey, the many of the, the architectural plans and designs for this castle and the other castles and the ones that never came to fruition are actually at this particular museum as well. So there's a King Ludwig Museum at the castle, so you can go check them out. And next, we're going to go to the last one on this list, Moschwenstein. There's a lot mentioned about this castle, but the reasons for building it are not apparently often mentioned. As we mentioned, in 1866, he went to war with Prussia and lost and no longer became a sovereign ruler. He was a, a constitutional monarch. And at the same time, his sort of de-ranking, in a sense, he also lost the right to govern the troops in time of war because of his loss to Prussia. So this was the catalyst to his decades-long castle building projects as we mentioned before so he could go off and live into his fantasy world and this as i mentioned before sits above on, on a crag above his child at home and apparently even as a child he had been conceiving the design for this castle living in his fantasy world and so you really hold on held on to that oh yeah the walls there's 
throughout the castle, which is massive, have frescoes throughout the entirety of it, depicting various scenes from opera, Wagner's operas. There's even an opera room Crazy. in there as well with the uh, stage pieces to have a showing of one of Wagner's operas. Like it is full on. This is a, this, if Ken Kimsey was a tribute to Louis Fourteenth. this is a tribute to Wagner. A full-on tribute. Full-on tribute to Wagner. Oh boy. It was also inspired by two trips that he took, one to Wartburg, which is near Eisenach, and the second was to Chateau de Pierrefonds, which was also being reconstructed at the time by Eugene Villeneuve. Both of them were sort of a callback to medieval French Gothic design. And Ludwig found both of them to be his ideal medieval romantic image of what he wanted his castle to be. And he actually wrote to Wagner in 1868, it is my intention to rebuild the old castle ruin of Hohenschwangau near the Polat Gorge in the authentic style of the old German knight's castles. And I must confess to you that I am looking forward very much to living there one day. You know, the revered guests I would like to accommodate here. The location is one of the most beautiful to be found, holy and unapproachable, a worthy temple for the divine friend who has brought salvation and true blessing to the world. It will also remind you of Tannhauser, the singer's hall with a view of the castle in the background. Lohengrin, which was more like, uh, I think, old German King Arthur. There's a tale in that. Uh, there's a castle courtyard, open corridor, path, chapel, and everything. So he's literally writing to Wagner in 1868 about this castle he wants to build as a tribute to his best friend, Wagner. Or rather his idol. Yeah, I guess idol would be best, yeah. There were two main designers, uh, stage designer Christian Jung and architect Edward Riedel. And as part of the plans, the castle actually had central heating, running warm water, and even automatic flushing toilets. Crazy. Yeah. I wonder how the flushing toilets worked, actually. I don't know how many he had, because there weren't a lot of rooms that were finished. <laughs> so the idea lives on. Yeah. Technology for that time, too. Well, if he could have, at Linderhof, if he could have a mechanical table, he could figure out some way to get automatic flushing toilets. For sure. Construction on it began on September 5th of 1869, and the king actually lived in the gateway for several years until moving into the main portion of the castle, which wasn't ready until 1880 or 1884 or something. Yeah. So it, this one took a while. The construction of it actually gave, much like the other ones, very many jobs and financial opportunities in the area. And it's actually estimated that Within the year of 1880, there were no less than 200 craftsmen employed to work on the castle. And it's actually believed that at times there were 300 workers on site per day working 24-7. For something as big as Neuschwanstein, um, I, I don't doubt that there will be that many workers per day. Yeah, this thing is massive. It's so tall, too. Uh, according to some stats from an 1879 report, they used 465 tons, European tons, of Salzburg marble, uh, 1,550 tons of sandstone, 
400,000 bricks and 2,050 cubic meters of wood just for the scaffolding alone. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, especially yeah. with Salzburg Marmor. Marble. Marble, sorry. That, that stuff was extremely expensive at the time before Italian marble was actually found out. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. Yeah. And that, that's local marble too. You don't have to go down to Italy for it. Yeah, that's the point, but it's still really expensive. And to work on this is actually, it's just, oh my God. Right. You have a quarry, you have the workers transporting it, then you have the workers refining it and fitting it to the best vision uh, of the king. Mm. Or the former king. Also a pretty mad king, actually. I can see why he would be called the mad king. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one, one, one interesting side note to this, in 1870, there was actually a society that was founded by the king for the workers of this castle, stating that if anyone happened to die during construction, which there are 30 mentioned cases of death, uh, the families would actually receive a small pension. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't ruthless. He was just not interested in people. Yeah. Now, although he only used his personal funds to fund, to, uh, personal finances to fund the building projects, it was rumored that he did use treasury money to pay for the expenses, but they were never actually used. However, in 1871, uh, Ludwig was actually able to gain an, an undisclosed amount of secret income in return for a political favor given to Otto von Bismarck. Shady. Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, Bismarck's a whole different topic. I, Bismarck's fascinating. It is such yeah. a gigantic topic. I know. When you, it, when you pack it out, it's just twist after twist. It's insane. Oh, yeah. That's for another time, though. Oh, yeah. Now, by, by the time of his death in 1886, the king's debts, mostly because of the palaces, reached around 14 million marks and if my estimation of conversion is correct it's about 75 million dollars in debt in debt hey you wanted a pretty castle he's gonna be in debt for that pretty castle yeah and he wouldn't carry even if he was in debt not like he was not like he was gonna notice anyways right he tried to actually get uh more money and i'll get to that in just a second but he also tried to write to other European monarchs and tell them that they deserve to also give him loans for money to build the castles. Question didn't work. That didn't happen, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, in April of 1886, not long before he, he died, following advice by Bismarck, which kind of makes me think that this was a plot against Ludwig, the king asked parliament for a further 6 million marks following advice given to him by Bismarck. By June, two months later, the government decided to depose him because they were like, no, dude, you, you're already spending way too much money. Even if it's your personal finances, we need someone who can actually rule. This is, yeah, this is crazy. So he was put under the supervision of Bernhard von Guden and then removed from his palace on June 11th. Dang. So as I mentioned, Deutschstein uh, is... What, it was essentially built as a tribute to Wagner. Now, Wagner never lived to actually set foot in the palace, even though it's dedicated to him. And then during the time of its construction, 
he was constantly writing to Wagner and letting him know about updates on the castle. I'm like, look, I, I put this over here and we find this over here and this is gonna be for you and you can live over here. <laughs> and we have an opera room where you can perform your operas. Yeah, it was, there, there was a lot, there's a lot of Wagner there. Too much Wagner. <laughs> a little, yeah. <laughs> Uh, as I mentioned, Ludwig did live in the castle. He lived in there for a little bit as the royal residence in May of 1844. But he only lived there for 172 days, not very long, before being forcibly removed because he was declared insane. And after the death of Ludwig, the reigning regent, Leutpold, decided to open the castle to paying visitors six weeks later on August 1st of 1886. And if the palace had been fully completed, it would have had more than 200 rooms. That's a hotel. No, that's a castle, honey. It's a chateau. Why would a castle need that many? Why are castles existing in the first place? To compensate for small pee-pee. That's exactly <laughs> why. This is, that was not meant for anybody but just the more lords themselves. Right. Now, by 1886, when he passed away, out of a potentially up to 200 rooms, only 15 rooms were completed. Ah. Wow. Because he was too busy overshadow or overseeing and micromanaging every detail. He only had enough money to finish 15 rooms. Right. Right. So as I mentioned, mocked at the time, for the castles being lavish, garish, and gaudy, since his death, they are some of the largest sources of revenue in the area. And you can go up and visit the castle and its many rooms. If you go to Neustrastein, you can visit the king's quarters, the servants' rooms, the kitchen. There's a mock throne room in there as well. And it's actually one of the most iconic castles in Europe and is estimated to have more than 60 million visitors since it opened to the public in 1886. And it may also be very familiar to those who are in uh, like Disney fanatics there, Lauren, <laughs> because it is actually the inspiration for Sleeping Beauty's castle in Disney World. Ah, so there is a Disney connection. Oh, of course. Disney World. Disney World. Disneyland too. Yeah, that's it. Disney World. Disney World. <laughs> Don't diss Disneyland. We've been there. It was not a great time, honestly. My leg cramped up on the Matterhorn. <laughs> <laughs> From the way to run the actual ride. Sorry, Matterhorn's just it's a fun ride though. It's okay. It's a it's a it's a wonderful ride, yes, but no, nah, it wasn't I wish the experience was a bit shorter, at least on the standing side. All right. Well, when you come, we'll make sure to hit Disneyland at some point and we'll make your experience better because you're not allowed to have a bad experience at Disneyland. I'll gladly decline, thank you. <laughs> oh. I, I don't need to go back. I don't think that you understand that this was not an offer. It's going to happen. <laughs> oh, no, it was forceful. <laughs> I'm going to kidnap you and bring you yeah. to Disneyland. 
one step at a time. Yeah. But yeah, Sleeping Beauties are is so iconic, and I can definitely see how it was inspired by Neuschwanstein Castle. Well, the spires and the asymmetry asymmetry of it, and the fact that it's sort of lost in the mist in the woods and the trees sitting up on yeah. the hill that it is it's very fairy tale esque and that's exactly what Ludwig was going for yep yep but he died before it was completed but how did he die Lauren yay my turn <laughs> <laughs> so just so you know uh, before you get a little bit into Ludwig's death, there's not a lot to say about Ludwig's death. It's very, very short. And... Uh, but do you know how many days that uh, Ludwig lived in the castle? I said 172. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought that was my section, lady. I just talked about the castle. Yeah, mine's life at the castle. You already did my section. Never mind. I'm just going to do death. Forget it. <laughs> rude. Rude. She's very rude. Well, let's just say he uh, died mysteriously. After his exile to Schlossberg, he was exiled with one of his doctors that act, that was on the panel of, I think, four, if I remember correctly, four doctors that declared him insane one of them went with him to Schlossberg was it just as as an official caretaker because of his insanity well you wouldn't be able to call him a caretaker after what happened to him <laughs> <laughs> and what happened well what were these mysterious circumstances the doctor was a psychiatrist, Bernhard von Guden, by the way. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. And not long, like a few days after he was put into exile, he was found drowned in a river. I thought it was a lake. Well, I was actually. Oh, yeah, you're sorry. Sorry, you're right. It's a lake. It's a lake. Please ignore my river sentence, but yeah, he was dr he drowned in a lake with the doctor. Doctor Ow. also died. Mm -hmm. uh, some say it was saving the king's life. <laughs> saving, like jumping in after, only to realize he can't swim either. Kind of situation, although no one knows if it, it was really a can you swim situation uh, or not. There are theories. And yeah, it was uh, Lake Starnberg. There are several theories. Supposedly what happened is that the imprisoned king disappeared out on a walk and the doctor was with him. And later just by a couple of hours they they discovered both of their bodies uh the doctors officially declared ludwig's death a suicide like he attempted suicide 
by drowning but it's interesting because ludwig did know how to swim number one and he was known for being a swimmer it turns out also where they found him in the lake was not very deep as way way too shady way too suspect they also performed an autopsy and uh, if he drowned there would have been water in his lungs there wasn't Mm. well there is such a thing called dry drowning but i don't think that would have happened in this case i don't dry drowning you'd still have water in your lungs not always i'd have to look up dry drowning i've actually never heard of it but either way he had no water in his lungs whatsoever he was in a not even waist deep part of the lake and he knew how to swim very well what happened we don't actually know uh and while some say dr gooden went out to save his life did he really though i would think otherwise uh what what was there to say about the doctor there's like nothing to say about the doctor unfortunately because no there's no information on the if there was an autopsy or anything done on him other than that they were both found dead sounds like it was kind of staged especially if they have no information on the doctor that was with him it sounds to me like they sent assassins after him somebody sent assassins after him and unfortunately the doctor was just a byproduct yes melissa (laughs) um i remember reading that there were some people that claimed that ludwig was shot but during the autopsy there were no bullet holes but some people claimed that he was shot and killed by the doctor Uh, and there was another theory that they wanted to because he was declared insane he would have had to been put into an institution and wanting to go back to quote unquote ruling the country um he tried to he had a confrontation with the doctor on this nightly walk where it was thunderstorming outside at the lake they, when they had to go search, it was mad raining. So who knows what happened? And uh, they were out by the lake and apparently likely in, in some, I'm sure at some point they had a confrontation, but it's possible. Some people think that the doctor may have drugged him and he collapsed and went into the lake or they had a confrontation and the doctor tried to possibly assassinate him and he tried to run away and it ended up in the lake and they uh, both um, tried to kill the other one and ended up killing, killing themselves in the process or something along those lines. Because the doctor, according to the coroner's report, had defensive marks on him and his face was like bruised. Hmm, that doesn't show up in mine, but okay. Yes, and right not long after his death, as Melissa said, you know, these castles, like she said, were originally not built to be shown to the public. They were for private pur- purposes, but actually not long after they became museums and uh, 
people are were able to go visit very very quickly after his death i think it was maybe in a little maybe a little bit in spite of him likely. but that's that is the death of king ludwig the second also known as the mad king well to end this on some interesting notes that's here he has a legacy, but most of the legacy is everything we've already talked about. His personality, his wealth, his patronage, in the wealth being the, the castles that are mentioned, the museums, the Beirut festival that was done in his honor, and all, all this stuff. It, his, the, the reason we have Wagner's plays are because of his patronage. So his obsession with Wagner and Wagner's works played a major theme in his life as we talked about and that can be seen in pretty much anything that Ludwig did in his entire life. The opera houses that Ludwig actually commissioned to showcase Wagner are also still around and because of his musical patronage particularly for the opera houses he was also influential in bringing many European uh, dramatists to Bavaria, such as Shakespeare, Calderon, Mozart, Gluck, Ibsen, Weber, Moliere, Corneille, and Schiller. So a lot of uh, a lot of romantic drama from the the 1870s, but also, I mean, Shakespeare. A lot of big names. Yeah, a lot of big names. And as I mentioned at the beginning, he's sometimes referred to as the Swan King because he grew up around Swan images near Schwansee, which is, I guess, Swan Lake. Um, um, and it's actually because of all of this and the imagery that's related to his family, is believed that Ludwig II might be the inspiration for the actual Swan King in Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake. Imagine that. You know, that mm -hmm. kind of makes sense now in hindsight. Yeah, I, I never would have occurred to me. I would have actually not thought about this at all. And there are actually uh, a handful of movies about Ludwig, and uh, whether they're biographies or documentaries, but Neustrastein also appears in several popular movies, at least one or two some of us have seen. The musical Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. It was... Uh, the, the mystical land of Bulgaria is based off of um, the, the castle and the area around it. And then there's, it's also featured in Spaceballs, yep. I've forgotten about. And also the uh, World War II trauma, I think it is The Great Escape, which I believe that one's about bullets, if I remember correctly. Um, and addition, this one's kind of cool. In 1995, there's a computer game called The Beast Within, a Gabriel Knight mystery, which has a central plot based around Ludwig. There's even a popular board game that came out, I think, 2014, called Castles of Mad King Ludwig. And side info, this one's really interesting. On April 6th of 2002, a meteorite landed near his childhood home of Hohenschwangau, and was named Neuschwanstein. The meteorite, which is an instatite chondrite, I don't know much about that, but it broke into three pieces, each of them named after the castle. So one, two, and three. 
and that's, I, really that's kind of cool and that then yeah it's a little interesting side piece space it's cool it is. and to end this all off all of his palaces as of i think 2014 are on the unesco heritage list waiting for approval and Neuschwanstein in 2007 even became a finalist for an online selection of the new seven wonders of the world. It didn't make the list, but it did become uh, a finalist. That's amazing. Yeah. I can see, see how it would become one of those. Yeah. For anyone who's curious, I'm just, I'll end it with this. The, the quote unquote new seven of the world, seven wonders of the world as of the 2007 list were Chichen Itza, Christ the Redeemer in Brazil, the Great Wall of China, Machu Picchu, Taj Mahal, and the Colosseum. There you have it. Yep, yep. And that's everything I've got on the meth king. Such an interesting yet tragic story of a mad king. A king and his fantasy and his mad obsession, fanboyism with poor old Wagner. No, I wouldn't call it really tragic, honestly. It was just, um, I don't know. How should I say this? It was a rough, it was unique. Let's say it like that. Yeah, if it was a tragedy, go to, I guess, his his second cousin. So if Emperor Sisi was his first cousin, Emperor Sisi's son, Rudolph II, I guess would be his second cousin? Second cousin once removed. Okay, yeah, you and tragedy, go look up the death of Rudolph II. Yeah, look up the Mayerling tragedy. Then you'll then you'll actually under see the tragedy. Yeah. Of yeah. that family. <laughs> yeah, the tragedy I was referring to was a mental tragedy. It's, yeah. Uh, it's kind of in it's, the same vein. It, it's in the same vein for Mayerling too. Yeah. Oh fun. But Rudolph II also preferred to live in a fantasy world and did not want to be king and wanted to like his his father was Franz Joseph. Who is That's incredibly well another episode? Well. Yeah. yeah, that is for another episode, another time, though. Oh, yeah. In this case, it's time for us to all head out. In that case, that'll do for this episode of History Explains It All. Thanks, Galen. Thank, thank you, you for, yes, thank you for joining us. Hope to no see problem. You <laughs> and we hope to see you next week as we check through history to explain it all. Bye. Bye. See ya. Bye.